failure of drug war is glaringly obvious to judges, cops, wardens, prosecutors, and millions more now calling for decriminalization, legalization, the end of prohibition. Let us investigate the century of lies. Welcome to Century of Lies. On today's edition, we're going to have uh, several segments. We'll hear from Mr. Jerry Cameron, former sheriff and current member of Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. We'll hear uh, part of a debate that was held up in Denver, uh, thanks to the good folks at Nine News, uh, NBC up there. We'll also hear from Mr. Howard Wooldridge, another member of LEAP, who just found out he's going to start in November working full-time for LEAP in uh, Washington, D.C. We'll also hear what some of the other uh, radio stations around the country are doing in regards to uh, this drug war. I'll let my first guest introduce himself. Jerry Cameron, uh, retired police chief. I was formerly a police chief in South Carolina, and my last jurisdiction was for seven years in Fernandina Beach, Florida. was very active in the war on drugs, uh, developed some aggressive street enforcement programs that uh, gained national recognition. Uh, my department was actually on the front cover of Law & Order magazine, and uh, I'm also a graduate of the FBI National Academy and the DEA's Basic Enforcement School and two of the DEA's professional institutes. Well, Jerry, you're not a, a novice. You're not a greenhorn on the subject of drug policy then by any means. Uh, you are also a member of uh, LEAP. Uh, tell us about that association. Well, LEAP is, stands for Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, and Basically, it's a number of, of law enforcement officers that started it that uh, were very active in the war on drugs, uh, came to the same conclusions that I came to, and uh, decided that the, the war on drugs uh, not only w was not working very well, that it was counterproductive uh, and created a lot of unintended consequences in our society. So uh, we guys that are retired uh, from that are just sort of making amends out here by telling the truth about the drug war and trying to end prohibition. The members of LEAP are willing to speak uh, basically to any organization on the planet that will invite them? Absolutely. Uh, we, we do speak all over the world, from uh, New Zealand all the way over to uh, Great Britain. Earlier, uh, well, I guess it was about a month ago, you, you were over in Europe, uh, uh, particularly in Ireland. And uh, tell us about that visit, please. Yes, I did a, a, a three-week tour in Europe, speaking in London. Uh, Scotland uh, spoke to the uh, International Conference of Reason Foundation in Amsterdam and uh, spoke to uh, the Irish Penal Reform Conference in uh, Dublin. And how were you received? Tremendous reception, uh, particularly in Ireland. Uh, they are really trying to come to grips with uh, some of the escalating problems that they're having as a result of uh, drug prohibition, and uh, I spoke and was in every newspaper in Ireland the next day and spent the following two days uh, in a taxi going from radio station to radio station. You say you were well received. I, I saw no uh, uh, really disparaging remarks put forward in their newspapers. Well, uh, the newspapers, uh, I think, have, have reached a point that they, they want some solutions other than the ones that are being offered uh, to them, uh, they, they see their violence escalating, and now the Irish uh, government wants to build uh, bigger
cost escalating, but they, they are experiencing exactly the same thing we've experienced over the past 40 years, that it is really not affecting the drug trade. The prison overcrowding. It's, it's terrible here in Texas. It's bad across America. And I saw in this morning's uh, Guardian newspaper that in Great Britain, they are about 300 shy of uh, hitting the 70,000 mark full up uh, no occupancy sign in their prisons. Uh, a large number of those incarcerated here and in uh, uh, Great Britain are there for drug charges, most of them minor possession charges. Your thoughts, sir? Don't we have better things to do? Well, we absolutely have better things to do, and, and this is, is based on a faulty premise that was really created by the federal government uh, five or six decades ago, is that somehow or another we can arrest our way out of our drug problem. And that simply isn't so. What you end up with is crippling the criminal justice system before you get to the prisons and then overcrowding the prisons. This, incidentally, is the same sort of thing that we experienced during alcohol prohibition uh, when we tried to prohibit one substance, uh, since we couldn't do that, uh, we've gone back and tried to uh, prohibit literally hundreds of substances. You know, I, I think about the international implications. Um, why do we continue to fund these violent people? Well, it, it's really based on two things, and, and one is ignorance of the public as to what, what is actually taking place. And number two is is just a, a total lack of courage and, and self-serving uh, behavior by our politicians. It is no question about it that, that the use of drugs continues to increase every year, and we have new and different drugs that are developed in order to try to get around prohibition or the consequences of prohibition. And we spend more and more money. We'll spend $69 billion uh, this year. Uh, fighting the war on drugs, and at the end of the year, more people will have tried them. The drugs will be easier to get, purer, cheaper than ever before. Afghanistan, we just spent uh, $300 million, and the production increased by 20%. So that shows you how successful that we are. And what we do is we create a black market, which gives rise to a tremendous criminal enterprise, and that criminal enterprise at this point is uh, the main funding source for terrorists. You, you mentioned uh, the expenditure there in uh, Afghanistan, and it, it reminds me that in Colombia, over the last few years, we spent some three and a half to four billion dollars trying to eradicate the coca crops. And I, as I understand it, they've uh, improved the genetics, getting more coca from each coca plant. They've uh, found ways to put it in smaller patches and hide it in the national parks. Uh, and move it to other countries through the balloon effect. Uh, is there any glimmer of hope that their process could ever work? No, this absolutely can't work because what you have is a market for substances. Uh, there are people that are going to use substances, uh, and some of them misuse them, regardless of what you do. And every time that you destroy a crop, every time that you put a drug dealer in jail, what you do is diminish the supply temporarily, which creates an increase in, in price and profits, which creates more incentive for more people to get into the business. So it is self-defeating behavior. I'm bringing this a little closer to home, in Mexico, police chiefs keep getting shot out of the saddle, so to speak. 
they they find bodies in burning car trunks and uh, and it's starting to spill over into the U.S. side where customs agents and others uh, are being corrupted by these black market billions. Uh, it's getting a little cl too close, is it not? Well, it, it absolutely is. But you, you know, the one thing that we learn from history is that we don't learn anything from history. Uh, we experienced exactly the same. Uh, thing during alcohol prohibition, uh, exactly the same kind of behaviors where where critical newspapers were firebombed. Uh, we had drive-by shootings. We had uh, gang assassinations, gang wars, and we corrupted whole cities. At one point, uh, the, the city governments of New York and Chicago were, were largely corrupted by the uh, alcohol or uh, rum runners. Well, with... Uh... That thought in mind, Jerry, we need to motivate people out there. I think uh, probably the majority of Americans now realize this drug war is not working, will not work, but, but they're afraid to stand up, to speak up. Uh, what would you tell those people? Well, I, I, would, I would tell them that, that uh, things are never going to get better and, until at a grassroots level uh, Americans start telling their politicians that they, they won't change. I don't think you'll ever have courage in the political arena until uh, the public becomes educated to exactly what's going on and puts uh, pressure or at least gives the people in the political arena to uh, permission to go forward and do something that stands a chance of working. Uh, I'd advise them to re remember Einstein's admonishment that uh, the very definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over again, expect a different result. Uh, we've been doing that for 40 years. we spent over a trillion dollars, and things are far worse today from the perspective of drugs being available and people using them than they were when we started. Uh, I've heard uh, reports from the U.N. that indicate each year worldwide um, people pay 400 to $500 billion for these recreational drugs. And the best I can guesstimate... On that, that means that we've given these violent criminals perhaps $10 trillion over the lifetime of this drug war. It's, it's time to put it into it, right? Well, you, you're absolutely right. We are talking about an over a $500 billion industry. I mean, this is something that gets in there and rivals things like petroleum. And uh, in, in that industry, what we've done is we've turned the whole industry over to criminals. They decide what's produced where it's produced, how it's transported, who gets it, how much it costs, how pure it is, uh, and how much they get. So that $500 billion industry goes completely untaxed. We have to pay for the consequences of it, and it does nothing to support that. I think that, that drugs are just far too dangerous to turn over to, to criminals and have them actively solicit our children as customers. We've been speaking with Mr. Jerry Cameron, former sheriff, now a member of law enforcement against prohibition. Jerry, any closing comments? Well, I think that you've touched on a lot of important things, Dean, mainly that it is the public that is going to help change this. And our experience in LEAP, is that when the public is informed that far more than 80% of them come to the conclusion that we need to do something different. Uh, LEAP, or Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, is the one group that is able to carry that mainstream 
uh, that message to mainstream America through their, their civic clubs and their other associations uh, because we do have the credibility of being uh, retired or active law enforcement. And uh, I think that we're beginning to see a difference. We're beginning to see a change in the tide. And uh, I've had a number of uh, elected officials tell me that, that they can actually see the day that they might be able to step out in front of this thing. So uh, we are encouraged about what we're seeing, not only here in the United States, but in Canada and Europe also. I want to thank Jerry Cameron for taking time to do that interview. You know, when I get the chance, I uh, call various radio stations around the country trying to recruit them as new affiliates for the Drug Truth Network. And I think other than perhaps only one, I don't have any NPR stations uh, on the uh, little syndicate. They tell me I'm biased, even though I offer cash rewards if drug warriors would dare to come on the program. I found it rather intriguing that there's a new uh, segment on this uh, NPR program, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Rather cute little bit. I thought I'd share it with you. But I'm wondering why they don't uh, look seriously at this drug war. I think it deserves the respect, don't you? But a pretty good piece they did. Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me at NPR. Now, panel, it's time for you to answer some questions about this week's news. Charlie, there's been a rise in the number of kids experimenting with drugs in recent years. According to one government study, in part, that rise in drug use was inspired by what? The Bush administration. (laughs) Actually, uh, indirectly, you're correct. But specifically, what program in the Bush administration? The anti-drug program of the Bush administration. Exactly right. Specifically, government anti-drug ads. You know, the ones on TV that you see all the time? I really want my brain to be a fried egg. Exactly. You're like, that looks tasty. (laughs) Since 1998, the federal government has spent $1.4 billion on a series of anti-drug ads aimed at young people. It shows stoned people having all kinds of disasters because they're taking drugs. turns out kids seeing the ads basically respond, wow, people do (laughs) drugs. Can I get me some of that? Drug use, particularly among the young viewers the ads are aimed for, have increased, and even weirder, the government spent $200 million on more such ads after they found out they didn't work. I mean, what are they smoking? That is less surprising, in fact. Yeah. Really, yeah, yes. that's actually, that makes more sense. Reminds me of another war. Yeah. <laughs> so, so here with this bunch, they've got a war on drugs that causes drug use. They've yeah. got a war on terrorism that causes terrorism. <laughs> You know, if you set these guys loose on, like, an endangered woodpecker or something, yeah. you could probably... <laughs> I know. You know, you bring them <laughs> right back. You know what I mean? Let's, yeah, let's declare war on the white rhinoceros. <laughs> the drug war is the scam of our lifetime. Well, they're, they're uh, running neck and neck with that war of terror now, aren't they? But uh, we can end at least the drug war by ending prohibition. Quit funding the terrorists and the gangs. We're going to get back into some serious now. Here's a interview I did with Howard Wildridge, the guy who's uh, going to work for Leap full-time in D.C. next month. Uh, Howard Wildridge from Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, Leap. Uh, 18 years in police work, retiring as a detective in Michigan, moved to Texas, uh, lived there for 11 years, and now here in the Washington, D.C. area, where I'm working for LEAP. I'll start a new position on November the 1st as an education specialist on Capitol Hill. 
And, Howard, that's wonderful news. It'll give you a chance to uh, talk to these legislators. It'll give you a chance to uh, uh, put forward the, the leap ideas that this drug war is just not working and clarify to them just how badly it's going. Yeah, right, Dean. I'm very excited to to uh, get up there in Capitol Hill, meet with the congressmen, the staffers, etc., and and bring to them a law enforcement perspective about the, the not simply that it's a catastrophic failure, but also the unintended consequences that they don't really see every day uh, on the policy. And uh, I'm hoping with with my unique perspective and um, uh, experience that I bring to the uh, to the position that I'll, I'll be at least able to educate a fair number of them that. Uh, uh, they need to take a second look at the entire policy of drug prohibition. And speaking of your experience, besides the 18 years of uh, experience in law enforcement, you, you have a rather unique perspective in that you have twice crossed America on horseback, meeting with hundreds of people, speaking to reporters and uh, organizations along the way. Let, let's talk a little bit about that. Well, you know, Gene, Dean, you know me for a number of years. I'm very passionate and very committed to this cause of ending prohibition. And uh, I, I believe that the drug dealer is the single greatest evil force in America today, and I'm dedicating, if necessary, the rest of my life to ending this scourge. And, and to, to promote that, to speak about it, to gain mass publicity, um, Misty and I went from Georgia to Oregon in 2003 and then back across America last year from L.A. to New York City. And indeed, with the T-shirt saying, Cops say legalize drugs, ask me why. Many hundreds, uh, even in the low thousands of people, did ask me why. And uh, we were able to bring the message and educate a lot of people across America about the, the, the absolute failure of this and the need to bring the government into the picture and have them regulate and control these last ten drugs uh, like they do, like a whiskey uh, or um, cigarettes. Well, earlier today I was talking to Ethan Nadelman of the Drug Policy Alliance, and he, he brought forward a point that it seems uh, rather bizarre that uh, the members of LEAP and Drug Policy as well want to control these drugs, want to take them out of the hands of criminals, and yet it is the government who insists that criminals have that control. Your thoughts, sir? You only have three possible ways of distributing these ten drugs, either uh, the government, private industry, or criminals. And today's policy simply gives to the criminals, the Al-Qaeda's, the, the drug gangs, MS-13s, full control to manage these, these 10 drugs. And it is, a, it is ironic that uh, we are calling for the government to uh, take control of these drugs and, and regulate them and control them as best as government can. Uh, the, the drug warriors, as we call them, are out there still advocating a policy which keeps these, uh, these criminals, these bad guys, completely in charge of the nation's uh, uh, illegal drugs. And uh, it's unfortunate, but uh, that's where we are here in uh, 2006. Well, as a, a Texas, or I guess now former Texas resident, mm -hmm. uh, you're probably well aware of what's going on on the border with the beheadings and the bombings and the hand grenades of the journalists. Your, your thoughts on that, sir? Uh, we'd best open our eyes, had we not? Well, you would think. Uh, but we, you know, the, the, the lawlessness there on the, uh, the frontier with Mexico and the United States is, of course, a direct result of the prohibition. It's not the drugs that are killing these people. It's the prohibition of the drugs, same as the St. Valentine's Day massacre was slaughtering Al Capone's enemies back in Chicago in the 20s. And uh, But the good news, uh, Dean, is after I've been at this for 10 years, people across America essentially 100% understand that this policy is a complete failure, not working at all, and that their kids are growing up in a world infested with drug dealers, 
uh, and, and drugs are as plentiful as blue bonnets in the spring, uh, stronger, cheaper, etc. So where we are today in 2006 is the need to say, look, there's a better way to do this, and that is to have take control of these drugs by the government. And that's the message which LEAP brings to every audience we possibly can across America. Well, once again, Howard, congratulations on this uh, new appointment uh, to uh, serve LEAP in Washington, D.C. Uh, we'll be checking back with you to uh, get your uh, response and rejoinders, uh, see how it's going. Well, thank you, Dean. I, I deeply appreciate the thoughts. And, and uh, although I'd love to be back in Texas, uh, unfortunately, uh, District of Columbia is here in Maryland. But uh, I'll get back to Texas as often as I can. Law enforcement against prohibition. These men and women have served in the trenches of the drug war as prosecutors, judges, cops, guards, and wardens. They have seen firsthand the utter futility of our policy and now work together to end drug prohibition. Please visit leap.cc. You know, you can't go wrong when you're talking about the drug war if you talk to a cop or a warden or many of the other members of law enforcement against prohibition. It's just too bad we can't get a police patrolman's union to uh, bring the subject up. What is the nature of this drug war and where is that benefit? If you get the chance, listen to the Cultural Baggage Show. That's where we normally feature the words of Mr. Terry Nelson, the former border guard and air interdiction officer, the guy who retired as the equivalent of a bird colonel. Why do we want to keep funding the terrorists? I, I just don't get that one. Cyril was right. Cyril Parkinson was an English historian, writer, and expert in public administration. Parkinson is most famous for stating the simple truth now known as Parkinson's Law, quote, work expands so as to fill the time available for its completion, end quote. This perfectly states the problem with treatment alternatives to incarceration. Drug courts and treatment alternatives take drug-using criminal offenders and sentence them to drug treatment programs rather than sending them to prison. It's much more likely that offenders who get treatment will be rehabilitated. Yet these programs were developed not as a favor to drug users. Rather, they were developed to help keep down the spiraling cost of corrections. Drug treatment on the outside is much cheaper than simply sending offenders to prison. It was a great idea, except for Parkinson's Law. In 1990, there was one drug court in the U.S. There were just over one million drug arrests that year. State prisons held an estimated 148,600 drug offenders, and federal prisons held 30,470 drug offenders. By 1997, there were 230 drug courts and 1.58 million drug arrests. State prisons held 227,400 drug offenders. Federal prisons held another 55,759. In 2002, the most recent year for which complete data is available, there were 1,086 drug courts and 1.54 million drug arrests. State prisons held 265,000 drug offenders. Federal prisons held 81,000. In 2005, there were 1,262 drug courts and nearly 1.85 million drug arrests. The Justice Department is scheduled to release new prisoner counts before the end of the year. It is safe to presume that there are more drug offenders behind bars than ever before. Yet by every measure, hard drugs like cocaine, heroin, and methamphetamine are more widely available, cheaper, and purer today than they were 16 years ago. The bottom line, expanding the resources of the justice system in order to handle the overload did not cannot result in a more efficient system. Instead, the system becomes even more overloaded. The only way out of this loop is legalization. 
For the Drug Truth Network, this is Doug McVeigh, editor of DrugWarFacts.org. If you caught last week's Century of Lies program, you heard an interview I did with Mr. Mason Tavert of the uh, Colorado organization Safer, Safer Alternatives for Enjoyable Recreation. He recently had a debate with the Colorado uh, state attorney, and here's a little segment thanks to uh, NBC in Denver. The first voice you hear is that of Mason Tavert about this in a reasonable way, we need to talk about whether it makes sense to punish people for using a less harmful substance than they can use legally, and, and one that Mr. Southers has acknowledged that he uses in alcohol. Um, so we would simply ask that, that we, we keep this to uh, the relatives of these two things and not simply go off on the supposed harms of marijuana, because all that's going to do is, is simply scare voters into voting against this instead of providing them the facts about it. Mr. Southers? Heaven forbid we give them the facts about it. That's exactly what they don't want to do. Ladies and gentlemen, the proponents of Amendment 44, their basic premise is that we should legalize the possession of marijuana because somehow uh, it's a safe alternative to the use of alcohol. That assertion is both incorrect and irresponsible. You know, our American society is plagued, quite frankly, by moral relativism. The notion that we ought to engage in one wrong because, after all, there's things that are worse out there. And this is probably one of the worst instances, this campaign and this message of moral relativism that I've heard. And here's why it's irresponsible. We have to talk about children, Mason, because we know from experience that the legalization of small amounts of marijuana for adults results in the increased use of marijuana by children. Uh, it, it appears that the only people in this country with a serious addiction when it comes to marijuana are federal and state law enforcement officials like Mr. Southers, who are simply concerned with maintaining the fines, the forfeitures, and the federal funding that they require to get their paychecks. Um, we think it's absurd that these people care more about maintaining their funding than they do about telling the truth to young people about drugs. Do we want young people to be told that marijuana is as harmful as heroin and crack and PCP? Or do we want them to be told the truth, that marijuana is a relatively benign drug, it's not supposed to be used by people under 21. If you use it, you're breaking the law, you will be cited. Um, I would point out that I think it would be more worthwhile for our police to focus on young people using marijuana and keeping it from them, instead of worrying about people like Damien Legoy, who is a 47-year-old AIDS patient living in Capitol Hill, who was cited, uh, and the city of Denver decided to prosecute him and spend tens of thousands of dollars in order to, to collect on a $100 ticket. Um, finally, in terms of, of Mr. Southers' notion that sobriety is the best policy, that's like suggesting that we ban condoms because we don't want young people having sex. It's completely absurd, and it's not realistic. Uh, Mr. Southers wants to live in a world where people don't want to use marijuana and don't want to use alcohol. But we all live in a world where people do use these drugs, and they're going to have to make a choice as to which one they might use. Would we rather people use a drug where, regardless of how high the THC level is in it, it's never killed a person in history? Or would we rather them use 100-proof uh, vodka or 80-proof vodka or 70-proof vodka, which can kill them? Uh, 
I, I would prefer the former, but uh, like we've said over and over again, we do not want young people using marijuana. Um, I would finally like to point out that Mr. Southers is using, um, and I think it's a, a, quite a disservice to all of you, uh, this notion that was presented in the Blue Book, uh, which the Rocky Mountain News, the state's conservative-leaning newspaper of record, pointed out was a complete falsity, uh, that it will be legal to give marijuana to people 15 and older. In fact, it will be a, a felony, and we think it should be a severe penalty to give marijuana to young people. He's actually arguing that that we shouldn't make penalties for giving to young people extreme. In fact, we went to legislators around the state asking them to support legislation to increase the penalties for giving marijuana to minors. We asked uh, Speaker Romanoff, who's here today, who is actually the Stephen King behind the horror show of a blue book that we have. Um, we think that uh, it's absurd that these officials are simply trying to scare you into voting no when they are not addressing the fact that they all use a drug that is proven to be more harmful than the one they want prohibited. Ten years after the passage of California's medical marijuana laws, we find that the use by youngsters has actually gone down. We're flat out of time, so once again I remind you, there is no truth, justice, logic, scientific fact, or medical data involved in this drug war. It's a sham. We've been duped. The drug lords run both sides of this equation. Let's visit our website, nprohibition.org. Prohibido Istaki Valesco. For the Drug Truth Network, this is Dean Becker asking you to examine our policy of drug prohibition, the century of lies. The show produced at the Pacifica Studios of KPFT, Houston.